Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Thanks, Elaine, Stephen, choir, for that great time of worship. And we do ask the Lord to speak to us. If you would turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. In your bulletin, there is a listening guide. We want to welcome all of our guests to Arden First. We are a place where you can belong, believe, and become. We like to say it like this. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. For those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about Jesus calling the 12 apostles. And what's interesting that I didn't bring out last week was original rabbis would basically, they would lead students that would come to them. And the rabbi would decide whether or not to allow the students to follow and to listen and learn from their teaching. Jesus flipped it and he was proactive. Instead of having the students come to him and asking to follow, Jesus personally picked 12 to follow him. And since that time on, Christians are called to be proactive in reaching people for Christ. That's why we get the gospel out and we approach people with with the good news of Jesus. Amen. So we live in a world that sees things upside down. Have you ever noticed that? I was reading about a professor. um, I believe he was from Germany. His name was Professor Theodore Erzman of the University of Innsbruck. And he developed these glasses. They're very goofy looking glasses. And he he tried this experiment on one of his students. And he had the student wear these glasses. And what they do is they flip everything you see upside down. And I'm not an optometrist, but I've learned that the way we view things are upside down and the brain flips it. And I didn't realize that. Your brain flips all the images. The brain is the actual part that sees. The the eyes just take in everything. So what this professor did is I'm going to flip everything back upside down. So when the brain flips it, it's flipped again. So his student walked around with these inverted glasses, and he was staggering around. You can imagine try to drink a water, and you're seeing the water upside down. Or imagine a, a teacup, you're pouring the water, and the water goes... I mean, he was just disillusioned. But after about 10 days, he learned to flip it again to where his mind would see the upside down, right side up. And they've done experiments since then, experiments with the inverted glasses. And what's interesting, some people, after they took the glasses off, they saw the world upside down again, and their eyes had to readjust. And so what we're going to see in this passage, just by way of preview, is Jesus is going to flip the world system upside down. The Jewish mindset of this day, and much like today, um, they, they would basically say things like this. Blessed are the wealthy, for they shall make it big on earth. Blessed are those who never lack a thing, for they shall never go hungry. Blessed are those who are happy and without heartbreak. Blessed are those who are well-liked. Blessed are those who uh, have it all together. So in the Jewish culture, they would highlight things like long life, wealth, large, healthy family, a full barn, and defeated enemies. What Jesus does is he comes and he shocks everybody. He's going to say, blessed are the poor. I'm not going to ask anybody, but how many of you want to be poor? Nobody, right? Blessed are the hungry. How many of you gentlemen want to walk around hungry? Not a single taker, right? Blessed are those who weep. How many want to sign up for tears and depression? Blessed are when people say evil and persecute you. Sign me up, right? So he's going he's gonna to say something that's going to really flip the world system upside down. So the big question today is what kind of person does God truly bless? We're going to talk about the blessed life from Jesus' perspective. Starting in Luke chapter 6, verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem 
from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Now, before we go to verse 18, many of you have heard of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. So this has confused scholars and they said, well, this is a similar sermon as Matthew 5, but it's on a plain. So why, why is it Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain? Is it the same sermon, different place? Well, my, my, my opinion is it's the same sermon but different audiences. So Jesus contextualizes it to his audience. Matthew 5 through 7, it's going to be a more broad audience. This we're going to see in verse 20. He's speaking, the, the broad audience is there, but he's speaking to his disciples. So, which, kind of a, a funny preacher joke. If Jesus preached the same sermon twice, it's okay for me too, just so you know. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but teachers know repetition. We have to hear things over and over again. All right, look at verse number 18. It says, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. So let's look into the, these Beatitudes. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and cast your name out as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, your reward is great in heaven. For in like manners, their fathers did to the prophets. Let us pray. Father, Jesus presents some very interesting words that seem countercultural, seem upside down. So, Lord, as we talk about what it means to be poor and hungry and hated and excluded, give us wisdom. Help us to understand what your word has to say to us. And Lord, help us leave this place not just informed, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about the blessed life. First of all, we have the prologue of the blessed life. Look at verses 17 through 19. In 17 through 19, Jesus is coming. And there's the disciples, there's the twelve apostles, and there's the crowds. What is the difference between the crowds and the disciples? We find out the crowds are coming to hear Jesus and to be healed by Jesus. So they're looking to get something from Jesus. The disciples, on the other hand, they're looking to expand the kingdom for Jesus. They're not wanting to get something from him alone. They're wanting to do something for him. So that's the difference between the crowd and the disciples. Notice that the people were coming to Jesus to be made whole again. That's the prologue of the blessed life. God seeks to bring us wholeness. First of all, we see diseased people. This is kind of a snapshot of what it's going to be like in heaven. There's going to be no sickness in heaven. And I'll go to children and said, Amen. So everyone that came with disease, they were healed. Let me ask you a question, audience participation. Is disease and sickness a part of God's original design? Absolutely not. So what Jesus was doing is he was restoring back creation as it was intended to be. And we know that we live in a fallen world where there are sickness and disease... But one day, we're going to see Jesus face to face, and he's going to wipe away every tear, no more sickness, no more disease. Amen? But we also not only see disease, but we see demonic activity. Has anybody ever been to a church service where someone yells out or wigs out? Some of you may have, may have not, but that's, that's very interesting. I've had people yell out different stuff in a sermon, and it's like, what's going on here? 
But can you imagine demon-possessed people coming and screaming out and Jesus casting the demons out? Now, can a Christian be possessed? Absolutely not. But a Christian can be oppressed. So here you have some lost people that are coming in the crowd and Jesus is delivering them. We don't know how they got possessed. Uh, we don't know somehow they opened themselves up to the demonic or the occult and they, they were filled with evil spirits and Jesus cast them out. But aren't you glad that Jesus has authority and power over sickness and over the realm of the demonic? Look at verse 19. It says, the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and he healed them all. Notice that word power. Jesus had power coming out of him because he's God in the flesh. Something I noticed as I was reading this, Jesus wasn't like certain superstar preachers. You ever been to a church where you couldn't talk to the pastor? He was untouchable. He was behind in the green screen. And it's like Jesus was available and approachable. Now, it's not to say he didn't have alone time. He did. It's not to say he had, didn't have private time. He did. But he made himself available to the crowds. And that's what I love about Jesus. He wasn't one of these rock star preachers that no one can touch him. He was touchable. You could talk to him. He was available. So verses 17 through 19, I kind of summarize it like this. The Jews had a concept. Whenever they would greet someone, they would use a certain greeting. You wouldn't know what it was. Shalom, right? Shalom, shalom. And the concept of shalom is not just peace, but involves that, but it's wholeness. It's life the way God intended. So what Jesus was doing is he was trying to bring these people back to a point of shalom. And that's the prelude to the blessed life. If you want to experience the blessing of God, you have to come to God broken. And we're all broken, by the way, before we come to Jesus. And he comes and he heals you. He takes away the things that are keeping you from serving him as you should. And it doesn't mean that after we, we, we become a Christian, we'll never get sick, never be hurt again. But it does mean he's restoring us in our souls. Amen. So let's look at this blessed life. In Matthew, we have at least eight Beatitudes. In Luke, we have four. And these Beatitudes, it's a Greek word that basically means fortunate, spiritually fortunate. It's another way to say congratulations. So when Jesus comes out of the gate and he says, congratulations to the poor. People are looking around like, what did he just say? Congratulations to the hungry. Congratulations to those who weep. Congratulations when people hate you. That, just like our own today, it's a shock factor. Like, did he just say congratulations to the poor? It's like coming to someone and say, congratulations, you just lost your job. Congratulations, you just broke your leg. I mean, that's just like so countercultural. But what we got to do before we go into these beatitudes, we've got to look at the context. Jesus had just called his newly disciples, his apostles, out of the big group of disciples or there are hundreds, perhaps thousands. We don't know. He chose 12 apostles. And many of them had left money behind to follow Jesus. You remember Levi became Matthew. He was sitting at the tax booth. And we don't know how much money he made. Probably six figures in that day. A lot of money. And he left the money on the, the, the table and followed Jesus. You remember Zebedee's sons, James and John? You remember they're, they're, they had a couple boats, at least two we know of. So it was a commercial fishing business. You remember they left the nets and followed him. So when Jesus says congratulations to the poor in that particular audience, these are some of the newly poor. Now, is poverty good in and of itself? I don't think so. Poverty in and of itself is not good unless it's because you follow Jesus. So this is not a call to be poor. This is a call to follow Jesus regardless of the consequences. So 
If you've had to lose a job because of your Christian faith, blessed are you. So what I'm going to do in this passage, I'm going to tie Luke in with Matthew. Because when I say blessed are the poor, some of you are like, I don't, I don't really relate to that. But Matthew says poor in spirit. So what Jesus does in this sermon, he contextualizes it to one audience who just left a lot of things and were newly poor. He's contextualizing. And Matthew, to a larger audience, he's saying be poor in spirit. So the first beatitude is this. God blesses those who realize their true spiritual poverty. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Notice he made this statement to the disciples. He looked at the disciples, even though a larger crowd was there. So this has two levels. The physical level is obvious, poor. If you've had to leave great wealth behind because you're following Jesus, listen, that's okay. Because if you got Jesus, that's all you, you need, right? But there's Matthew says poor in spirit. And that's a spiritual level whereby... You've got to come to Jesus realizing that you're morally bankrupt, that apart from God, you have nothing. The problem with most people is you can't get saved until you realize you're lost. Did you ever know that? So when Jesus and Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's saying you've got to come to Jesus and realize that you're spiritually and morally bankrupt. The Bible says our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. So until you come to that confession, you can never come into the kingdom. Amen. How many of you wish that you had a first-class ticket to the Titanic? Anybody? All right, I got a little video clip for you, and it's just a short clip. All right, thank you. The, the Titanic, what I didn't realize is in that day and time, it took $7.5 million to build it. In today's economy, that's $174 million. It took 3,000 men two years to build this, this unsinkable ship, supposedly. Um, something I didn't know, that it was never christened. A lot of the times they would christen a boat. They never christened the Titanic. Do you know how much a first-class ticket costs? And that day and time, it was 4700 which is equivalent to $50,000 in today's money. Can you imagine? So when Jesus said, blessed are the poor, you can kind of get, get the gist of it. Those who are in the Titanic, whether rich or poor, they went out. That was the end. They didn't leave this world wealthy unless they were wealthy towards God. So what does it profit to gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? So when Jesus announces, blessed are the poor, he's saying, listen, if you have me, you have it all. But if you don't have me, even though if you have great means, you have nothing. So here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being rich. We need to be clear about that. Nor is being poor a virtue. 
what Jesus is trying to say is true riches is found much deeper than material. It's spiritual. So blessed are the poor. Have you realized your true spiritual need? Have you realized your true spiritual lacking apart from Christ? You can never be completely full and fulfilled until you come to God empty. Blessed are the poor, for they shall receive the kingdom of God. Number two, Jesus comes with a second beatitude. Someone say congratulations. Congratulations to the hungry. God blesses those who stay hungry for God. Now, most of you physically can't relate to being hungry. Maybe once a day, your stomach growls. So Luke hits the physical, but there's a layer of spiritual in Matthew. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? For righteousness. Can you remember the last time you were hungry for God? Can you remember the last time you had this insatiable appetite for God and his word? You could not wait to spend time with God in prayer and Bible study. You could not wait to get to church. Have you ever been there? It's like, gentlemen, have you ever ordered a petite steak? And after eating that petite steak, you wish you had ordered the pounder? Like this six ounces ain't cutting it, Dan. I wish I ordered the full 16 ounce. Or ladies, you have that special dessert and you share it and... After you shared it and you started eating it, you wish you didn't share it. It's so good. Listen, God minimizes all those illustrations. Once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you want more and more. The problem is, this is me personally, the times where I'm not as hungry for God as I should be is when I'm trying to satisfy myself outside of God. But you ever notice that never satisfies? Money, things, travel, pleasure, leisure, whatever, it never completely satisfies. Only those who hunger and thirst for God can truly be filled and fulfilled. Amen. Notice it says hungry now. This hunger is present. It's also temporary. So physically, if you're without certain things, as long as you have Jesus, it doesn't matter. Because you may leave this world physically poor, but you enter into heaven rich beyond your wildest imaginations. So Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger. In Matthew 5, it says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Did you know that you have as much God as you want? You know, a lot of times in church, I grew up in a denomination where it talked about second works of grace and you've got to get a second blessing. And listen, there's multiple works of grace. But did you know you don't actually get more of God? He just gets more of you. There's not a junior and a senior Holy Spirit. Whenever God moves inside your life, you have him. He just doesn't have all of you. So when the Apostle Paul tells us to surrender self as a living sacrifice, he's not saying you need more of God. He's saying God needs more of you. So if you want to experience more of God, it's a day-by-day surrender. Amen. James says it like this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you're not as close to God as you once were, guess who left? Not God. God's still where you left him off. And if you want a relationship that's dynamic and active, You have to draw closer to him. How many hungry people do we have out there? Hungry for God. Yeah, there's hunger for the world. There's hunger for food. There's hunger. But what greater hunger than to have hunger for God? Because only then can you be fulfilled. Amen. Someone say congratulations. Congratulations to those who suffer. Isn't that countercultural? We want, as Americans, we want to be happy. We want to be healthy. And we want to be whole. I remember the old saying, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and was it wise? You guys remember that. But Jesus, when he comes and says, blessed are you who suffer 
Look at the verse. It says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. You know, we live in a world that doesn't want to shed tears. We live in a world where we don't want conflict. We don't want persecution. But Jesus says, sometimes following me, there's going to be tears. There's going to be trials. There's going to be suffering. And you don't give up when the going gets tough. You keep moving forward. Amen. Billy Graham told the story of the Reverend John G. Patton. He was a missionary who served in the new Herberides Islands. And he tells the story of this missionary that it was really sad because he had just moved into this hut on these islands. And he was surrounded by enemy troops. It was this native tribe that were very vicious and they were going to burn down the house and burn down he and his wife in there. So John G. Patton didn't know what to do. He and his wife got down in their little shack and they started praying, God, protect us, God, help us. They kept praying and eventually they woke up the next morning and they were still alive. And they didn't realize what happened, but the enemy troops were gone. So one year later, the chief of that tribe, the, the hostile tribe, accepted Christ. He got saved. He was led to Christ. And John G. Patton had a conversation with him and said, what happened? What happened that night when you guys were surrounded us and then you disappeared? And the chief looked kind of surprised and he said, where did you get those big men with swords? And their garments were shining. Where did they come from? The only explanation they could have was God sent his angels to protect them. So blessed are you who weep now. One day you're going to laugh. Weep now. Sorrow is present, but it's also temporary. Sorrow is present, but it's also temporary. Psalm 56, 8 says, You number my wanderings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? For those of you who have shed tears because of your faith, for those of you who have been through suffering in life as a Christian, I want you to realize this truth. God holds every tear in his bottle. He never forgets a tear. And he loves you so much. So blessed are you who weep now. For one day, God's going to comfort you and you're going to laugh. The scripture says, weeping may endure for a night, but what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. Most of you are familiar with William Carey, the father of modern missions. Um, he left for India in 1973 from England. So he moved to India and he spent 40 years without a furlough, without a vacation. Can you imagine 40 years of ministry with no vacation? Don't recommend that, by the way. Um, he lost two wives in death. His first wife died, and down the road he remarried. Second wife died. Um, he had a fever so high this day and time, they didn't have a lot of you know, medicine like we had. And one of the cures was leeches. So they attached 110 leeches to his body. Can you imagine that? So here you have Mr. Carey, 110 leeches on him, trying to just survive so he can do the ministry. Within 20 years of his ministry, a fire broke out and destroyed all of his work. He had been working on Bible translations, a dictionary for the natives, so many different works, um, some things he had been working on for six years. He was out of town at the time when the fire broke out, and his eyes filled with tears. And I want to read to you what he wrote, said to his friend. He said, in one short evening, the labors of years are consumed. How unsearchable are the ways of God. I had lately bought some things to the utmost perfection of which they seem capable and contemplated the missionary establishment with perhaps too much self-congratulation. In other words, he's saying, I was patting myself on the back for all that I'd done. 
I was feeling really good about my ministry. Then he says, the Lord laid me low that I may look more simply to him. The Lord laid me low. William Carey is the same person who said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Now think about that. He was weeping for many of the 40 years. But today, friends, William Carey is laughing. He's in glory. He's enjoying the fruits of his labor. Weeping may endure for night, but joy comes in the morning. Tears may be my lot for today, but treasure awaits my tomorrow. Look at the person next to you and say, you may have tears today. But treasure is for tomorrow. All right. Someone say congratulations one more time. Congratulations to those who experience rejection because of the name of Jesus. Look at verse 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. How many of you want to sign up for people hating you? (laughs) Blessed are you when they revile you, cast out your name of evil. Notice for the phrase, for the Son of Man's sake. I almost find some humor in this last phrase because... Jesus is saying, listen, it's because of me. If you're suffering because you're a jerk or you have a bad attitude or you're not nice, I'm not going to bless you for that. It's for the Son of Man's sake. So, so many of us Christians, we, we, we feel like we're suffering and we brought it on ourselves. But Jesus only blesses the suffering for his sake and for the gospel. So what do you do as, as Christians when people hate you? When people don't invite you to their get-togethers? When people talk about you... Behind your back. What do you do? The Bible says you're to rejoice. Why? Because you're blessed. Even when others curse you, guess what? God has already blessed you. It doesn't matter what others say about you as long as you know you're blessed. When others hate you, guess what? God still loves you. When others talk about you, remember Jesus is also talking about you to your father. And he's got nothing but good things to say, right? Because he took away all your sin. So here's the thing. Even when others get negative towards you, it doesn't matter their negative story because they don't know that you have a mansion in glory. God's got something far beyond your wildest dreams. So if you can put up with a little suffering here, a little weeping here, realize glory awaits you on the other side. Amen. So let's look at this epilogue of the blessed life. We talked about the prologue is wholeness. People came to Jesus to be healed of their disease. Demons are cast out. Shalom wholeness. He gives us four Beatitudes. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. But look, there's, there's an epilogue. Verse 23, it says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. So here's the epilogue. Celebrate your reward in advance before you get to heaven. So the next time you face persecution, the next time someone is mean to you, does you wrong, This is so counterintuitive. You rejoice. Now, I laugh because I've been in ministry for um, over 20 years now. Started early when I was 15. And I've had a lot of adversity along the way. A lot of come to Jesus meetings. I still remember when I was 22. I was a youth pastor at Merriman Avenue Baptist. Great church. And I had this girl, what I call now affectionately, as a youth pastor slayer. Anybody ever been in a, led a youth ministry? Well, this lady, this young teenager, hated my guts from day one. How could you hate me, all right? (laughs) So she hated my guts from day one. And here's the, I'll tell you the reason why. It wasn't because my preaching was hard or heavy or hellfire and brimstone. It was because we had a fellowship dinner. I was a guest speaker that night. 
And I, as a 22-year-old, I was a little nervous, and I'm like, I really need to go over my sermon one more time. So I skipped meal that night. I said hello to all the youth, and I went up to the youth room. And because I didn't eat with them that night, she hated me from then on. <laughs> and I still remember I was, you know, different episodes. I'll just give one. I was, you know, sharing my heart out, and she just starts screaming out while I'm preaching, yelling out. And I'm just like, how do you preach over a teenage girl that's screaming out? I mean, it's so awkward. What do you do? Do you stop? You you do get her out the side? I mean, it was just awkward as I'll get out. And you know what? I look back, and if I could give my 22-year-old self-advice, if I could go back to the past, it'd be rejoice. Listen, you're preaching. You're loving on these people. You're not perfect. You don't have it all together. But listen, if you face persecution, if you face opposition, rejoice. Why? Because think about it, Jesus was perfect, you and I aren't. And did he face persecution? People spit on him, people hated him, people rejected him, and one of his best friends betrayed him. So last time I checked, you and I aren't better than Jesus, so we're going to face it. So if you're in, this is a side note to everyone involved in ministry. If you're in ministry, you will face persecution. Jesus faced it, you will, and it just goes along with it. So rejoice now in your sufferings. Leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. By the way, the last phrase, it says, in the same way they persecuted the prophets. So the prophets were kind of like the pastors of the early church, or the Old Testament church, I should say. Before the church was established, they, you know, the faith of the Israelites, they had prophets, and they proclaimed God's word. So the Old Testament um, believers, basically, the, the prophets were persecuted by even those within the, the church. What do we have here? A spider, okay. I was like talking about yelling out in church. <laughs> and I was thinking it was a mouse or something, so kill that spider. So what do you do when a spider walks across from you? You kill it and you keep going on, right? So what I want to do by way of application is close this down with modern day Beatitudes. And mine aren't inspired, they're not, you know, in the word, but this is just modern day application if if I were to give some Beatitudes in 2018, um, by way of application, what would it look like? I wrote down eight. These are a way to apply this, what we talked about to you. Blessed are those who love God more than entertainment, for they shall be truly fulfilled. I have a brother that's a, a deacon at Biltmore, and we talk about church culture, different stuff. And he said one of the biggest challenges he has in, in his ministry is people choose entertainment over God. If they have a choice between the game or something on Sunday in church... Nine times out of ten, many will choose the alternative above God. Blessed are those who choose God above entertainment. And these are going to sound countercultural, and they should. Blessed are those who are faithful to their family and friends, for they shall never truly be alone. Aren't all of us looking for just a few faithful people in our lives? Blessed are the Sunday school teachers who prepared even when no one else showed up, for they knew that I would always be there every Sunday. We have a lot of faithful Sunday school teachers, and many that have taught, and you prepared even when no one showed up. But guess what? Jesus always showed up with you. And that's all that really matters. Blessed are those who share their faith and lead someone to Christ. For they shall have treasure in heaven. Blessed are those who live for eternity. And not just for this present world. For they shall be blown away when they enter into glory. For those of you who are living for Christ above this world. Whenever you get above this world in glory. You're going to be blown away by what's on the other side. Blessed are you. Blessed is the one who reaches out to the lonely, the poor, the downtrodden, for they have been my hands and feet in the world. 
Blessed are those who are encouraging in such a discouraging work, for they shall be salt and light in a world that needs flavor and illumination. I love how Jesus says we're salt and light. Salt makes things taste better, and light makes things more attractive. So you should be in this world seasoning so that Jesus seems so attractive because he is. He seems so compelling because he is. Blessed are those who have lived their lives for Jesus and not for themselves. For they shall truly live a life that really matters. So what type of life does God bless? What does the blessed life look like? Today we talked about the prologue. It's being made whole again. You can't live the life unless you're made whole again. And by the way, this, this, these Beatitudes are not to get saved. These are the disciple sermon. Jesus talked to his disciples. You've got to be made whole. God blesses those who realize their true spiritual poverty. Have you ever realized your loss? Because if you've never realized your loss, you've never been saved. God blesses those who stay hungry for God. Oh, to God that I could just whet your appetite for him. Just, just that you leave this place more hungry and more passionate for God. If you've ever been closer to God than you presently are, go back to where you left God off. Go back to those habits of spending time with God. God blesses those who presently suffer for him. So if you are suffering because of something you're doing, it could be something small, like I mentioned when I was 22-year-old in ministry and persecution. It could be something big. In other countries, Christians are losing their heads because of persecution. Blessed are you who endure suffering. And God blesses those who experience rejection because of the name of Jesus. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you've had to give up certain things, you're blessed. And the epilogue, this is for us today. Celebrate your reward in advance before you get to heaven. Celebrate in advance. The Bible says rejoice and leap for joy. I was almost tempted to bring Kira and my my kids up here and play a dance song and have them dance. Just to show that this this is the reaction we're to do. And you may not feel like it. You may not want to do it. But listen, whenever you dance... Whenever you move, whenever you get into God's presence, all the cares of this world seem to diminish. Amen. So to summarize this in a sermon and a sentence, your take-home truth. The blessed life is one that focuses on the joys of heaven above the sorrows of this world. Are you focused on the sorrows of this world or are your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Let us pray. Father, you've called us to live a blessed life. And God, we don't always understand what that looks like. We don't always understand why. But God, I pray right now for those who are suffering. For those who realize their true spiritual need. I pray that you would help them. I pray for those who need to be hungry. And right now, with everyone praying, I want to talk to the believer that you're not as on fire for God as you used to be. If you would just say a prayer like this, Dear God, I want to be hungry for you again. Strengthen and whet my appetite for you. I'm talking to a believer now who's depressed. Just say to God, God, you know the sorrows I face in this world. Help me to be reminded that one day my weeping will turn to joy and my tears will be turned to laughter. As the believers continue to pray, I want to speak to one today who... You haven't surrendered your life to Christ. You've never realized you're lost until today. If you've never repented of your sins and invited Jesus into your life, 
Today's the best day to do it. Today can be the first day of the rest of your life. Right where you're sitting. If you're willing to give your life to Christ. If you're willing to invite God into your life. Say a prayer like this. Dear Jesus. I realize today that I'm lost without you. I realize that nothing I do is perfect. I realize I can't get to heaven on my own merit or my own good works. Jesus, I realize you lived the life that I couldn't live. You died on the cross and you rose again so that I could experience new life. So Jesus, I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person inside and out. Give me eternal life, I pray. And thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me and for loving me. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, we want to welcome you to the family of God. Father, you see our hearts. Help us to be hungry for you. Help us to hunger and thirst for a God who continues to satisfy above anything the world can offer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we're going to have our hymn of response before we do an offering. If you guys would stand, we're going to sing. And if there's a decision you need to make, I'll be at the front. Miss Judy will be at the front. The altar's open if you want to pray. If you need someone to pray with you, we'll be at the front. We want to welcome you to what God is doing in your life. So respond as the Spirit leads.